Today's episode of The Dad Chronicle is brought to you by you. Did you know that we have a Patreon site set up over at supportaddad.com? Well, if you didn't, you now know. The goal of The Dad Chronicle has always been to support parents from around the world by providing them resources and support to face the challenges of parenting. And the money that we make from that Patreon site is incredibly important in helping to pay for not just the operational costs of this show, but to help us hit new goals and expand what we do. So check out all of the cool rewards and pick a patron level that works well for you. Head over to supportadad.com to learn more. Again, that's supportadad.com. Welcome back to The Dad Chronicle, where we share stories from dads all around the world. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 119. On today's episode, I speak with a listener of the show, Jordan Blythe. Jordan's story is one that focuses on open-mindedness and one that focuses on empathy and listening to understand the perspectives of others. And in a time like today, I feel like this is a really important conversation to have, and I think you guys are really going to like it. First, we commiserate about the challenges facing parents giving birth during COVID. I don't want to say it was a dark time because it was a bright, wonderful, incredible time. But the struggle of it is not something I would willingly go through again. We talk about how Dungeons and Dragons has helped him and his wife stay sane while quarantining at home with two kids under three. I can't overstate it. It has been one of the biggest things in this pandemic that has kept me functioning like an adult. And finally, we talk about how COVID and today's political climate has caused Jordan to reevaluate evaluate aspects of his faith and upbringing. This also leads into a discussion about how you engage with those who may disagree with you on very personal issues. That was a breaking point when, you know, I I had someone tell me that I'm not a Christian because I believe this. Here's my conversation with Jordan Blythe. Jordan Blythe, welcome to the Dad Chronicle. How are you? Hey, man, I am doing fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm exhausted, as people know that, you know, we're just coming off having a baby like a week ago. So there's that. So that means... You're getting, you know, full eight hours of sleep every night. Uh, You're doing great, getting naps. Yeah, eight, eight, eight to 12 <laughs> hours of sleep uh, a night. Yeah, solid. Minimum. Minimum. Yeah. No, it's been brutal, dude. I'm exhausted. But that doesn't keep me from creating podcasts and having uh, awesome people like you, awesome dads on this show, to share their story. So, Jordan, thank you so much for being on the show. For people who may not know who you are listening in on this, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Jordan Blythe. I am a social media designer for an ad agency here in the beautiful metropolis of Lima, Ohio. Um, Lima, Ohio is a, a place where when people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm halfway between Dayton and Toledo. And, and that's basically where I leave it because no one knows where Lima is unless they have to. So, um, so I'm from Lima and, uh, yeah, I grew up in Central Florida, and I've got two kids. I've got an awesome wife, and I'm a big nerd. So, I mean, that really kind of covers every base on a very broad scale. Well, I love it. I love it. And uh, I think that we're going to bring up some really interesting discussions on today's uh, conversation for sure. And, and before we really jump into that, you know, when you talk about where you're from in Ohio, I've spent a lot of time in Ohio. Deanna's whole family lives in Ohio and uh, or is from Ohio, from like Austintown, Youngstown, the eastern part of Ohio, and then up mm-hmm. into um, kind of the northern part. So, uh, I, and when you said that, I was like, where? And then you said in between Dayton and Toledo, I was like, oh, okay, gotcha. 
<laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> so I totally it jive. It, it works. Yeah, yeah. So that's funny. So, uh, so your wife um, and, and you have been together how long? Uh, man, we've been together for seven years now. Seven, seven years. years now. Wow. How'd you guys meet? Uh, I I was her youth pastor for a little bit, and then she graduated, and I was no longer her youth pastor. But I was straight out of college youth pastoring, like like straight out or not straight out of college, straight out of high school youth pastoring. Right. So it was. Wasn't as weird as it yes, sounds. Yes, like I I follow it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like you're the thirty-year-old uh, guy hitting on a sixteen-year-old girl. No, no this is not like. No, that. see, that would be weird. That was not me. So yeah, I I was a youth pastor and uh, and then graduated and it's all good and and from then on, like it's just been it's been pretty cool. Very awesome, man. And then you have a couple of kids. One of the things that you and I have in common is that we have both had kids during this whole COVID situation. Yeah. Um, I want to jump in on that, but before I do take us, uh, into your life as a parent, you know, and, and when you were becoming a dad for the first time, how old did you say your, uh, your firstborn was? Uh, my son is going to be two here in January. Okay. So two, two years ago, you had, uh, actually really two years and nine months ago, you had yeah. the opportunity to find out you were going to become a dad. What was going through your mind? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I will never forget. Um, we had tried for a while. We tried for about a year. My wife was on the depot shot. And when she came off of that shot, it took us a year to be able to conceive. And that, wow. that was really a, a scary time, honestly, because we thought something was wrong. Um, so we had gotten to the point where we stopped trying and we were like, whatever happens, happens. Because, you know, you get to that point, and, and if you've struggled with infertility issues in the past, you get to that point where you're like, I just, I don't want that heartbreak. Every single month where you're like, oh man, you know, my period's a week late. I'm going to take a test. It's negative. And, and you just feel like a failure. The wife feels like a failure. The husband feels like a failure. It's just a struggle. So we got to that point of, we're not going to try anymore. And I swear the month that we're like, ah, screw it. We're done trying. It's just whatever happens. That's when she got pregnant. And, and I, I, I'll never forget. It was like a, I think a Saturday morning, you know, I was, I was laying in bed and she, she, I was asleep and she crawled into bed and she whispered in my ear and kind of scared me, but whispered in my ear. She was like, you're going to be a dad. And, and I just kind of, I, I first didn't believe it, but <laughs> lost my mind in excitement. I was That's so absolutely cool. jazzed. That's a, you, you know, you're really not the first person to come on the show and talk about how you stopped, quote unquote, trying. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden something happens. I think there's something to be said about the body oh, kind definitely. of releasing. The, the way you know? that you can you can psych yourself out and you can get so anxious mm -hmm. and, and you get I mean, there has to be a psychological connection to it somehow. The way that your body handles stress and the way that your body handles, you know, conception. Um, it, there, there has to be a connection there. Yeah. Oh, there has to be, especially with how often that happens where you're just like, right. you know, we'll, we'll try again next year. Let's just kind of, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, OK, we're pregnant. <laughs> so yeah. congratulations. That's wonderful. You uh, I'm just going to point out that you have two kids. Uh, well, I, under three, that's a, a heck of a thing to to go for. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Yeah, that's, right. That's right a lot now, of the kids are 15 months apart. Wow. And uh it's tiring. <laughs> yeah, you've got two very different. Um, well, I, you know, I'll put it this way: two very different stages, mm -hmm. but you're also 
dealing with uh, similar um, stages in, in the way that they're kind of figuring things out right now. Because right. I look at somebody like Aria, my three and a half year old, she's pretty autonomous right now, which is a really cool place to be as a as a parent who just had a kid. Because I'm like, here, go go potty, and she goes potty, yeah. and it's cool. So I don't really have to worry about that. I can't imagine doing that with two kids. You know what I mean? Um, right. So uh, congratulations on that, first of all. Thank you. And, and how old uh, is your second? How many months? Uh, Evelyn is, what, seven months? Seven months. Yep. Seven months. She was born in April. Okay. So okay. So you have a seven-month-old. So earlier this year, we're, we're dealing with COVID really, really n- nailing mm-hmm. us here in the States. We talked about uh, on a couple of, well, actually, it was the episode previous to this one. You know, Deanna and I had this whole experience of having a baby during COVID time. One of the things that we really didn't lean into a whole lot of was how isolating it kind of is right now as compared to the first one. How did you guys tackle that as a, as a couple this year? So it was tough. You know, we obviously COVID um, here in the States happened. Uh, Ohio got locked down on March 14th, I think, if memory serves me correctly, or at least close to it. And, and, you know, prior to that, and I guarantee everyone else's story is the same, you know, like, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. It's going to, it's going to be here for a week. It's going to be nothing at all. And then DeWine comes up and says, you know, we're shutting Ohio down. We're going to, you know, issue a stay at home order. We're going to do all this stuff. My work shuts down. We go uh, working remotely exclusively. And, and then my, and kind of an aside, but my, my dad is, was a manager at Walt Disney World and, and they shut down. And when, when Disney shut down, I was like, okay, you know, this is a big deal because Disney doesn't shut down. Disney right. shuts down for a day for, you know, I remember being at Walt Disney World when they shut down for uh, the Twin Towers when they were attacked. I remember Hurricane Floyd when, when that came through and they shut down for a day. I remember, you know, a few other times in history when I wasn't there that it was just, you know, they... They ended up shutting down, but they don't shut down for an extended amount of time. So when they do, I was like, this is extremely serious. And I have an extremely uh, pregnant wife that is uh, all of us were just a giant bundle of anxiety. So, you know, we kind of tackled it with, you know, I think everyone else was a similar way. You know, we're going to do this two weeks to flatten the curve and then the curve is going to be flattened and then the world is going to be normal again. And then two weeks to flatten the curve ends up being a month to flatten the curve, which now is what we're rolling on, like yeah, nine like, months to flatten yeah, the curve. But, um, you know, my we, we just kept saying, like, it's going to be better soon. That was kind of how we coped at first, because the, the stress of, my gosh, my wife is, is super pregnant and, and this is really scary, was was just too much to handle. So we just kept saying, almost lying to ourselves, like, it's just going to be better soon. And then mm. it wasn't. And then April 10th rolled around and we had a scheduled C-section because my, my son was a C-section. He was a, a big boy and they, they had to take him C-section and, and Evelyn was, was the same way. So, so we rolled in and it, I tell you, the hospital experience was really rough because this was at, if you're looking at like the, the, the waves of COVID and how, you know, we had the spike in right. April and now we're having a spike now, um, the spike in April was happening right when Evelyn was born for Ohio. Oh my God. And we had a shortage of PPE. We had hospitals on humongous lockdown. And um, I wasn't even allowed in the room when she was born. No way. 
Yeah, I, I had to stand like for my son when he was born, I had I, I'm a photographer and uh, I took tons of photos uh, behind the curtain in front of the curtain. I mean, I was every, probably annoying the junk out of these doctors, but that was just kind of how I, I coped with my stress becoming a first time dad. I just took I, mean, I think I took like 500 photos during this 20 wow. minute operation, um, but it was great. And with Evelyn, I have a handful of photos on my phone that I took from behind two levels of, of door, like two doors and several windows of just me trying to get an angle, seeing when they pulled her out, making sure it was a girl, like trying to get those photos. And it sucked. And, and when they brought Erica, like when Evelyn was born, right after she was born, I didn't get to hold her. I didn't get to do anything. I had to go back into our bedroom or our, our hospital room and wait for them to bring her back. And that was like an hour and a half later, I think. So I had to sit there and just wait uh, with my mask on, you know, doing all of that stuff. Uh, and it, it, again, I can't say this enough. It sucked. Yeah. And then after she was born, um, if you left the hospital, you weren't allowed to come back. And we were again in the middle of all of this, this COVID stuff. So my son, someone had to watch him and, and we were extremely locked down. We were trying to be as safe as we possibly can, as should everyone. And, uh, our son was with a, a trusted family member, but they couldn't watch him all night. So I had to go get my son and leave my wife who, who was recovering from a C-section at a hospital where they are not going to take care of the baby because of COVID. So my wife had to do everything that the, the nurses would normally help out with. She was completely on her own. No way. And, and I feel emotional talking about it. It sucked. And, God, and just trying brutal. to be there and, and emotionally support my wife uh, over FaceTime while I'm just, you know, chilling in our bedroom after the kid goes to bed playing. I think I was playing Elder Scrolls online and just, just trying to keep my mind off stuff. And, and I've got my wife just struggling to even move out of her bed to take care of this baby. It, it was, a, it, I mean... I don't want to say it was a dark time because it was a bright, wonderful, incredible time, but the struggle of it is not something I would willingly go through again. That is, uh, first of all, uh, good on you for really making it through that and, and still, uh, being a great supportive husband, you know, trying to find ways to FaceTime and, and be mm -hmm. there in ways that you couldn't be there physically. You were trying to be there emotionally right. and spiritually with her. I think that that's a really important thing to take into consideration here. I mean, and that might have, I don't know, is were you not allowed in the room because it was a C-section or if it was a natural birth, would you have been allowed in the room? Because I was allowed in the room, but we, we, we had Deanna's mother there with us as mm -hmm. well when Aria was born uh, and you know, people waiting out in the waiting room, like this was just right. me. It's just the dad. Uh, were you I, even given that? I don't know if it was a natural birth, if I would have been allowed in. Um, my wife is nodding her head. Yes, I would have been allowed in okay. if it was a natural birth. The issue was the shortage of PPE because right. when you go in for the C-section, they have you put the full gown on, they have all of the elements of PPE and those were needed. And rightfully so. Like, I am not at all upset that it that it was necessary. I don't know how to phrase it. I'm not upset that they decided nurses who were literally saving lives were more important than a oh, dad yeah. watching his second kid be born. Not upset about that at all. 
but it was just a disheartening time. But if it were a natural birth, yeah, I would have been allowed in the room when it happened. Wow. So when did you actually get to hold your daughter for the first time? It would have been probably an hour and a half, two hours later when they rolled her in the room after being cleaned up and, and all of that stuff. Okay. Okay. So you, at least you got, yeah. Okay. So it, it's not like uh, a day later or anything like you, you got right, to no. right there. Okay, and, and, okay. I, and I was thankful for that. And, you know, and I was able to go into the hospital the next day on Saturday and, and be there for a few hours. But again, you know, when, when we were in the, the beginning of the pandemic and everything was so much more confusing than it is now. And you didn't know, like, should I even leave my kid with a family member? Is my family member being safe? Like all of these questions. I, I think I was only at the hospital on the second day for probably about five hours. And then on Sunday, when we went to pick her up, I didn't go into the hospital at all. I just, you know, rolled up, helped them load in the car. And then we headed home. Wow. Wow. So, so I mean, Thinking about where things are today, as you mentioned earlier, there's a bit of a spike happening right now, and obviously there are more people out there having kids and getting pregnant mm -hmm. now with COVID kind of on the rise. Given yeah. your experience through all this, what sort of words of wisdom would you provide somebody who may be approaching this with a bit of anxiety? Man, you know, first just acknowledge that it sucks because it's not good. Like none of this is how it should be. You're, you're welcoming your child into a uh, a scary, broken world. And how do you cope with that? And how do you handle that? Because, you know, one of my mentors, he always told me how you handle discouragement will make you or break you. And I always try to live that out in my life because it was a discouraging time, but you, you have a lot of choices on how you handle that. So right. I think in the words of the great Douglas Adams, don't panic. Because panicking, it doesn't get you anywhere. And just be flexible because unexpected things are going to happen. You can pray for the best situation. You can pray for the best outcome. You can pray that, you know, let's say that your wife is six months pregnant right now. You can hope that three months from now, when they're going to give birth, things are a lot more calm. Hospital restrictions are a lot less. Because a month ago, hospital restrictions were a lot less. And we're just entering another peak time where they're having to really shut things down. So just don't panic, be flexible and, and know that it's going to be okay. No matter what, it's going to be okay. If it's a C-section, it's going to be okay. If it's natural birth, it's going to be all right. Um, if you're doing a home birth, God bless you. I, I, that's not me. Um, <laughs> yeah. my, uh, I have a, my cousin, his wife just did, and this wasn't because of COVID. This is just who they are. They didn't go to the doctor at all. They never figured out the gender. They never did a single appointment, anything. They had a, a, a midwife. And they did a home birth, and the baby is healthy and wonderful. And wow. they didn't have to stress out about COVID in the least bit because nothing they did involved any of this stuff. And, you know, if that's you, uh, man, that's amazing. That is not me. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's some that's some next level stuff. That's oh, some dude, next level stuff. It's beyond next level. Like it's, <laughs> it's a level above next level. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, uh, I think that you nailed it, by the way. I think approaching it very calmly and uh, having conversations about it with mm -hmm. each other about, you know, like how you guys are yeah. feeling and really approaching it uh, as sort of a team is going to be really important. Yeah, and, so. and that's, that's the wildly important part is communication. Yeah. And how do you talk about it as a team? 
Um, My natural tendency, I love to talk about emotions, but I also hate to talk about emotions that stress me out. Yeah. Um, So my natural tendency is, oh, it's going to be fine. Like, we don't have to talk about it right now. We can go back to watching The Office on Netflix and eating candy and, and just not thinking about anything in life that brings us stress. But my wife is actually the opposite because isn't that how things work out? Yep. So like she has to talk about it and she has to process this externally. And um, if you're a husband out there who is like me, where you are an internal processor and you don't want to talk about difficult things, if you can avoid it, um, you, you got to like, you just got to, yep. you got to talk to your wife. You got to figure out your game plan. What if something goes wrong? You know, what happens? What do you do? And, and you have to have those conversations. You have to. Um, and it's healthy. I think that when you're afraid of having those conversations, it's acknowledgement that it's a tough one, but it's also right. it's healthy to have those conversations. And then For just sure. kind of think about your wife and how you're, you know, really approaching this as, as such a partner. Um, obviously, coming out of this, um, out of having another child and now in the midst of having two children during a pandemic, um, you and I had a conversation about how this has been uh, really tough on your wife about mm-hmm. how she's a bit of an extrovert. Yeah. Being stuck in the house with two toddlers is not a fun way to spend your day if you're an extrovert. So how are you and your wife coping with this? And what sort of suggestions would you bring to those out there who are listening to this that might be in a similar boat? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's difficult, obviously, because I am an introvert and I am naturally bent to where uh, if, if I was on my own and I we had this lockdown and I had to work from home all the time and I could just do, you know, not leave my house and not have this face-to-face interaction, I'd actually be pretty okay with it. Like, obviously, I need some kind of emotional refilling of talking to people and stuff, but I am wired much differently than my wife is, where my wife needs to go out. She needs to get out of the house once a day. She needs to talk to people uh, face-to-face even. And and all of those things are not, uh, they're not good in a pandemic. Right. Um, and, and this is completely unprecedented. No one has ever since, since the 1900s had to deal with a, a widespread virus that you can't leave your house because of. So we've had to really figure out creative ways to deal with it. So for her and me, the way that we've approached this is uh, – it was several times a week. Now it's uh, once a week or once every other week. When the kids go to bed, we play Dungeons and Dragons over Zoom with people. And it has been a lifesaver for me. I don't know if it's been as much of a lifesaver for my wife, but she's nodding her head. Yes, it has. But it's it's great because we can take this time and escape to a world that completely different than our own. None of the struggles that our world's having, you know, the world we go to is going to be attacked by dragons or there's a, an evil snow goddess that has cursed the land to be winter forever. Like that's the issues we deal with there. And it's great. And and we play with my, my dad and my siblings. We play with some other friends. We've got a few different groups going on and it's been, I can't overstate it. It has been one of the biggest things in this pandemic that has kept me functioning like an adult. But that is just what we do at night. That's not what we do during the day to survive, which is an entirely different ballgame. How did you talk your wife into playing D&D? Because I'm trying to Man, do that, Jordan. I have tried for years, bro. I have bought I bought the starter box. 
I bought the Essentials box. I bought Curse of Strahd because it looked really cool and there's a vampire on it. And I was like, for <laughs> sure, I can get my wife to dig this. And and she's always like humored it for me. Like she's always been like, okay, babe, we'll play some D&D now, but I'm going to be bored in an hour. So we're going to play something else in an hour. And And honestly, that was fine. Like, because it was a big ask, it you know, is, yeah. trying to get my wife to to indulge in this thing that when I was in high school, it was a bunch of us nerdy neckbeards playing at our friend's house on a Saturday night. Like it, it was a lot to ask of her, but something clicked during quarantine. And, and I told her, I was like, I would love to do this. And we, when Evelyn was born, we started watching Critical Role. Uh, are you familiar with that show? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched yeah. it, but I'm, I'm well enough familiar with it. So we started watching Critical Role season two. Um, we started with episode one and just worked our way up. They have incredibly empowering female voices on there. And I really kind of attribute that to it. I don't want to psychoanalyze my wife because she she hates it when I do that. But <laughs> um, they have really powerful female voices on there in, in uh, Laura Bailey. And I can't remember her other name, um, but it's incredible. And Ashley. So three three yeah. incredible women are on that show. And it's just so good to show like people like my wife that, Hey, women can play this. And these women aren't like total people that aren't like you. I don't know how to phrase that well, but like people like my wife play this game. They're not people that are, you know, nerds by nature like me. It's people that are like her. And I don't want to say normal, but the, the atypical or the, the typical person plays this game. Right. And, and it's way cool. Yeah, I I think that that's something that I want my wife to see in D and D. Deanna's gonna mm-hmm. listen to this and be like, oh, "Here we go again." But Deanna, <laughs> you gotta play it. It's great because uh, it's, so it's bringing in so much imagination and other things. She doesn't think she's imaginative enough, but I, I mm. think that she could totally and do it. My wife says the same thing. My wife says the same thing, and and she's always struggled with like the role playing aspect of it. Right. But then I remember one night. We were playing uh, this, this campaign. This town in in the Forgotten Realms is taken over by by kobolds because you know they do that from time to time. And my character was a dragonborn, or her character was a dragonborn. She encountered this kobold, chopped off its head, and and tied it to her belt. Damn girl! And and I was like, I was like, are you really doing this right now? Do you want a third kid right now? Like, like, it, it was it do was you want great. To get pregnant so because this is how we get not pregnant. <laughs> That's but hilarious. That's so great. That's great. Hey, if, uh, by the way, off the wall question about D and D. So, if, yeah. if you were to say, you know, like give your kids a class and, and perhaps you know, let's let's just keep it at a class. Mm-hmm. What do you think your your son is, and what do you think your daughter is as far as D and D classes? Oh go? man, so my daughter's a barbarian. I thought about <laughs> this. So she, my daughter, doesn't cry. She she grunts. Mm. like it's it's very angry grunts and and i like to think she's she's a barbarian and she's raging um because that is just what she does and every now and then she'll sit on the ground and she'll be totally normal everything will be fine and then she'll just start kicking her legs and grunting and it sounds cute but guys when she does it at like three o'clock in the morning and you're trying to sleep and she just starts grunting over the baby monitor it's not cool but uh (laughs) She's a barbarian. She casts rage. That is what she does. Love it. Uh, my son, he's a difficult one because he's really weird. So I think he's a bard because oh. he's out there. He he will he will dance randomly when no one's asking. No music's playing. He just dances. 
um, runs around shrieking. I imagine he's singing in his own world. So yeah, he's a bard. See, I that's Arya too. Arya actually genuinely loves to sing, and she loves to listen to people singing. So oh, I, I would attribute her to being a bard and plus she genuinely is like really concerned and caring about people so she's mm-hmm. got to be a healer right like yeah oh yeah definitely so, so, so she's that. like a bard cleric cross class love it yeah and i think uh right now jake being a week old what we what we say is that he likes to attack because like if if his blanket just kind of like touches his cheek a little bit all of a sudden he'll just turn his turn his head and you hear him go ah, 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 <laughs> like his mouth is open and he's like trying to bite yeah. at it so, oh, man. so so part of me thinks he'd be like i don't know a barbarian or something too yeah. so i think we're, we're on no, the same that's path great. aren't those newborn noises the best oh they're hilarious man oh they're so good and the faces they make they're hilarious they're cute. they're they're, they're yeah, great. Dude, you're you're uh and i'm not an advocate for fleets on twitter because they ju- they should not exist, but um, <laughs> your fleets of your son, all the little videos you show, they- it has given a serious baby fever, and it is not fair. It's not right. <laughs> it's not healthy. It's not good. Well, folks, you, you heard it here. If uh, nine months later Jordan has a baby, <laughs> you can attribute that to to me, okay? Yep. And the Dad Chronicle yep. and everything that we do here. Um, speaking of other things that we do here as a nice little segue, um, one of the things that we bring up a lot on this show is toxic masculinity um, about certain expectations that are set for men as we uh, kind of proceed down this path of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Things like uh, the machismo thing that I've talked about a lot on this show um, and being the caregivers, and and I think that there's a lot of truth to that and things that are our responsibility to do. But I think there's a lot of unfair pressure that are that's put on men um, in our society here. And that's one of the things I wanted to bring to this conversation, especially after you shared a little bit of information about your upbringing. Coming from an evangelical background, I think that there's a a lot of expectations uh, put on you as a man and as a father. Why don't you take some time to explain to the audience at home what that actually is and how that has been impacting you as a dad? Definitely. So... My, uh, going way back, my grandfather and my grandmother, uh, they had the, the, you know, my grandpa worked, my grandma was a stay at home mom. That was her job. My grandma's last job was when she was shoot like 20 and she worked at the school library to put my grandpa through college. Like that was her job. And, uh, that was kind of the setting the tone in our family. My grandma was always the one to do the fancy business parties and dinners and, and my grandpa had a, a high up executive job at, a, at the chemical refinery here in town. And it, it was just this very traditional, um, you know, 1940s, 1950s type family. And then fast forwarding, you know, and obviously we're very, very strict evangelical Christians, very conservative evangelical Christians is how I was raised. Um, fast forwarding to my I, I moved up to Ohio in 2010 from Florida, where my family lived to work for a parachurch organization that my uncle started. So I lived very close to my, my aunt and uncle and they had that very tight, you know, the man worked, the woman cleaned, the man did the, the, you know, entertaining the whatever. And after dinner, like all of the men would go to the living room and all of the women, like the, the kids and all just, if you were a female, you would clean up dinner you would wash dinner and all of the men would just be having very, very typical man conversations. And 
that was how I was raised. And it, it was a lot for me to kind of, as I came to grips with my own views on, on masculinity and, and, and complementarianism versus egalitarianism, what, what, where I stood on that, because, you know, I was, I went to uh, Baptist Bible College of Pennsylvania, which has since renamed themselves to Clark Summit University, um, very conservative Baptist college. Uh, I, I was a youth minister for a while since 2010 to uh, just January of this year, off and on. I was a youth pastor, youth volunteer, doing a lot of work with the youth. Um, and in all of that, in this evangelical circle where they always told you, like, as a man, you were expected to be uh, a warrior. You were expected to fight for your family. You're expected to provide for your family. All of the weight and the pressure of your family fell on your shoulders. And, and, and you know, if you fail, they fail. If you succeed, they succeed. And, and you know, your wife is, is like solely dependent upon you for, for provision, you know. And, and some of that, I don't want to say it came true because I, I hate, I hate the connotations around it. But, you know, my wife is, she's a stay-at-home mom. And, and my, my work is, is gracious enough to provide me a salary that is adequate for me from, to have my wife stay home and, and raise our kids. And, and it's, it's awesome. But when I fell into that situation, all of those, those, you know, the way I was raised, it all kind of came flooding back. And I'm, you know, I put this pressure on myself of, I have to provide for her and not just financially because the financially part worked. Like it was easy. Like I have a paycheck. The paycheck is enough to pay my bills and her bills, I guess our bills. And, and it's fine. Like I'm not stressed about that. But then you enter into this time of COVID where my wife can't go anywhere. The parks are shut down or were shut down for quite some time in Ohio. Uh, everywhere was shut down. So my wife was forced for months to stay in the house. And then, so you're dealing with, it's almost like seasonal affective disorder on steroids during quarantine hmm. because you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. So yeah. you just, you have nothing but nothing to do but get depressed. And then you couple in postpartum depression on top of that. And it, you, you are fighting a battle that is insurmountable when, as a man, when you're like, her mental health and her mental well-being is solely on my shoulders you're you're setting yourself up for a crippling defeat because you, you can't handle that and and I had to come to grips with it and be like geez Jordan like why are you why are you putting that pressure on yourself because that one that's not fair two that's not healthy three no one else in the world is putting this pressure on you but yourself you know yeah and, and what was that what was that breaking point do you recognize what that breaking point was for you and and kind of where you were at that point yeah there there were a couple breaking points i would say um you know it and i can't really think off the top of my head like what what specific moment like broke me but but you hear of these stories and and i don't want to get too political or too controversial um i don't know how controversial it is to say like we really do believe in this virus. We believe in what the scientists are saying about the virus. And being raised in a very conservative evangelical 
community. Like all of my friends are very tight evangelicals. Um, the church that I, I used to youth pastor at up until the, the beginning of this year, very tight evangelicals. And some of them have a predisposition to not trust things that are coming out of the, the government, cutting out of scientists and mm-hmm. so on. And we were fighting this battle of one, our mental health of man, how do we, how do we do this? How do we, you know, get out of the house and, and, and try to just live a little bit in a safe bubble of some kind. And then you're, you're fighting with family that doesn't believe that the virus is real, doesn't believe that the things that the doctors are telling us to do, we should do. And even taking it a step further where family is saying that doing this is a direct disobedience to God. And then they're questioning your faith because of what you believe with the virus and, and other political things that are going on. And that was a breaking point when, you know, I I had someone tell me that I'm not a Christian because I believe this, that, that broke me as, as a person with a, you know, my, my degree from counseling with a minor in theology, like, you know, I, I, I feel like I know the Bible better than, than a handful of people. And, you know, you, you get to that point of, you're not this because you believe this and because you're practicing this with a virus and, oh, you took your family out of church because you believe that the virus has spread over more, uh, it's spread more effectively through singing. Well, then, you know, you're disobeying God. So your family's going to suffer because of your decisions. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this is absolute insanity. I'm just trying to stop my family from getting sick and then stopping other people from getting sick by not hanging out with them. Like, I'm trying to do the what I feel like is responsible. And 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 then you have all of these people doubting that you're you're providing for your husband not your husband providing as a husband for your family spiritually. It it's tough. It was tough and it yeah. it got me to a point of what the heck am I doing? Like why why am I trying so hard? Why am I doing this? And and it broke my wife down too a lot. But we were able to have a lot of good conversations. We're part of uh, a phenomenal group of, of believers, uh, Christians on, on Facebook. That's like, we met them all on Reddit and we all kind of migrated to Facebook once we realized that Reddit's not cool anymore. And like, even one of them officiated our wedding, like really cool oh, wow. people. And they are a bit more uh, eclectic than, than the average evangelical sphere. So, you know, they were very encouraging to us. We, we found a good support group, um, but it was, it was really rough. And, and that's not even touching on any of the postpartum stuff and handling all of that. Like, yeah. it, it was like this one specific sphere. And, and, you know, we've just had to muscle through a lot of it. Yeah, you know, I, I hear a couple of things. So what you're talking about with dealing with people who you had been very close with and, and especially with the faith, you know, we're Catholics and, you know, uh, we're practicing Catholics. We would try to go to church regularly. We've been kind of slacking here. Um, but I think that the <laughs> kind of the nail in the coffin with all that was certainly COVID, um, mm-hmm. and us, you know, not going to church every Sunday, but right. you know, I think that there's some people out there who are reasonable, about that. And then others out there who see it kind of as a detriment. 
And, you know, what I want to try to avoid in these conversations is anything around like, you know, name, you know, pointing fingers and everything uh, about like this group of people, you know, is all to blame. Um, We we certainly have um, a a lot of controversial conversations on this show. Um, But, you know, thinking about this specific situation, I mean, how do you have conversations? How do you approach a conversation with somebody who may be attacking you for this specific way that you're a very reasonable way, you know, like you're talking about, you're looking out for the health of your family and others and staying home, which I, I perceive personally as a very reasonable thing. Right. Um, and also I have other people in my life who don't necessarily believe in this COVID thing and they think it's all a hoax, a government hoax and all that. Like, how do you have those conversations with people? You know, it, it was, <laughs> it's tough because you're talking about very emotionally charged conversations. I can talk to you about theology all day. I can, I can say like, I believe this about God and you believe this about God. So like one of us is one or both of us are probably wrong um, but we can talk about it because it's very inconsequential. Like what you believe communion does and what I believe communion does at the end of the day doesn't matter. But when, when you say like, oh, you're wearing a mask, so that you, that's probably going to kill you because of X, Y, and Z reason that I read about over here. And then I say, no, no, no. Like, here's what I believe about this. And and I believe it's protecting my family. And then you say, oh, that's probably going to kill your family. All of a sudden, we're talking about very weighty, uh, emotionally charged things. And and that, probably a poor example, but that's, as, you know, I, I don't want to really stretch it out too far beyond that. But we're talking about things that, you know, my family really matters to me. And And so when you say that I'm hurting my family, it's going to make me emotional. And you're probably emotional, too. So it, we've had to cut out a lot of people in our lives. Um, I, you know, a, a Facebook friends list is a terrible indicator of this. But during the pandemic, uh, not really by my doing, a lot of people have cut me out um, because, like I said, my sphere, very, very tight in one direction. So I've lost about 100 friends and acquaintances that, that I knew personally during this, this whole thing between um, some of the, the civil rights things that are going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and then the, the mask thing and the, the virus thing and the politics thing, it's, you know, losing a lot of people. But the people that are left, I have, I have some very great people in my life that I passionately disagree with. Um, a, a good friend of mine, David, he, he and I are like best friends and we don't agree on anything politically. We don't agree on anything with this virus, like at all diametrically opposed opposite sides of the spectrum. And we have the most wonderful conversations. He just texted me last night or two nights ago. And he said, man, I really appreciate you. Like this is a guy that doesn't agree with me at all. And he's just reaching out randomly at like 10 PM on a Thursday night saying that he appreciates me. Like we have these, these relationships. And that's the thing. You can't forget the person behind the opinion. You can't forget the relationship that you have with these people because what's happening in the world right now is very unprecedented. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of lumping in the political crap with the, the virus crap, you know, 
No, it's yeah, that's fair. The way that our opinions are being shaped and formed by outside uh, influences are very interesting. And, and it can cause us to be really heated, really fired up, really fast. And when you, when you look at it at face value, you're like, my gosh, this person is popping off on Twitter like nuts. And, and they're sharing all of these things. But then when you talk to them and you're like, hey, man, like, what do you think about this? Like, let's just have a dialogue. It can be a lot different. Yep. But you have to find those people and you have to invest in them. Um, John Maxwell has the theory or the, the principle of change in the pocket where every interaction with someone is a transactionary uh, interaction where you're either depositing into this relationship or you're withdrawing from the relationship. And you have to make sure that you are depositing enough into these relationships that when something gets tight, like when you have this uh, very passionate disagreement on one side of something, you, you take out from that relationship, you take out from that account, there's still something there when you're done. You know what I mean? Is that too, That's so, no, too it, nebulous? No, it absolutely makes sense. And I, I think that you nailed it with the person behind the conversation you're, you're having. I mean, ultimately what this comes down to is that yeah, this is a very personal thing, but as long as we approach conversations with mutual respect in mind right. and not immediately blasting each other based on somebody's post and what your preconceived oh, exactly. notion is, that yeah. there's a consistent theme this year around prejudice and so much prejudice and so many different ways in some obvious ways, some not so obvious ways right. where we as a society, as a country, uh, being the United States, uh, for people who listen to this internationally, uh, this is uh, this has been such an issue, and I wish more and more people were open to having very simple conversations. Um, I, I shouldn't say simple, very uh, uh, making the conversations easier to have by having some mutual respect. Yeah. Um, I've had just because you have a bad opinion doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yes, yes, you can yes. you can believe something completely off the wall, but you're still my brother, you're still my yes. sister, and I still love you. You know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to shift that conversation to, to family for a second. You know, thinking about your upbringing, uh, obviously, your dad comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And thinking about this show, obviously, a lot of the ways that we parent as fathers is influenced by our own fathers. So talk yeah. to me about your dad and his influence on you becoming a father, as well as uh, you becoming a father in this evangelical kind of upbringing. Yeah, so uh, I guarantee my dad's listening because he is that kind of dad. So, hi, dad. Um, uh, he's a great dad. He, he's uh, he's really, really a good dad. Um, gosh, I'm not going to get emotional. I, I, I hate that about me. I cry. Guys, I cry so easy. It's bad. <laughs> um, but, man, he's good. And and he's always been there for me. You know, my parents divorced, and, and my mom is awesome. I love my mom. But, you know, I lived with my dad. And, and I've, I lived with him for, for most of my, uh, my adolescent teen child life. Um, and, and he's always been really great. Like, I, I think I'm kind of his clone, like the way that we talk, the, the things that we like, you know, I, I think we have very, very few things that don't, uh, overlap on what we're interested in and, and what we're not interested in. Uh, I learned today that he thinks that the, the, the green apple Skittle is better than the lime Skittle. And 
and I'm not okay with that. No, but besides that, like he's, he's wrong. Thank you. But, but besides <laughs> that, he's a great guy, and like we agree on most everything. And and my parenting style is really derived of the drive from what what he was like when I was a kid. Um, he always included me in things. He always talked to me like I was an adult. Um, he treated me with respect. He treated my decisions with respect. You know, I was very thankful that he he was never pushy on you know, you need to have this career because this career makes money. He let me flounder as a uh, a youth ministry intern and then a, a youth ministry major in college and then a theology major in college and now finally landing on a counseling major in college and then graduating and not using that freaking degree at all because it was a waste of money and I'm a graphic designer now. Um, he supported me through all of it. And you know, he, he had very similar struggles to me. Uh, he, he has ADD. I have ADD. Um, he struggled in college. I struggled in college. Um, not academically, but just again, going back to the ADD, uh, I just didn't like it. Like I didn't care until all of a sudden I started to see the, the bills that were racking up for my failed classes. And then I graduated with a three, two, because all of a sudden when I saw the financial investment, I cared. Um, but you know, him and I are so similar in, in everything that I can't think of parts of my parenting style that aren't like what he did. Yeah. When you're thinking about some of the expectations set as set to you as a father and um, especially around some of the evangelical upbringing. And I I totally jive with some of this conversation having grown up and, um, a very similar sort of relationship that you're having with your dad and one with my dad too. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I wonder, I mean, when you have these conversations with somebody like me talking about, Hey, this is, you know, the expectation that we hold men and perhaps it's a little bit unfair to hold that expectation there. Uh, perhaps we should be approaching things more empathetic, more compassionate. Did he, instill a lot of that in you or yeah or where did that come from he did so he my dad has his degree is in social work and he's he's very built for that kind of thing um he just through and through like mental health has always been a focus of his and it's always been a focus of mine and he is wired just like me where he could be a stay-at-home dad in a freaking second you know I, I I don't know if I mentioned it earlier. I would totally be a stay-at-home dad if I could. Oh, if, me too, if the roles yeah. could be reversed and my wife could be the one bringing home the bacon and and I was here just taking care of the kids, taking care of the house, I'd love it. And my dad has always said that he would love that. Um, he has never been super bought into the the very tight evangelical sphere. Um, and and I want to use that phrase loosely because I am still an evangelical. I might be severely disillusioned from things right now. And my dad, very, very same way. But, you know, we grew up in this, but we didn't totally fall into the extremes of the theology of like, you know, women can't do this. Only men can do this. And my my dad was never bought into that. And he never pressured me to believe that either. Um you know, I think the biggest thing that my dad pressured me to be was a Star Wars fan. And I've caught that hook, line, and sinker. Like, that is <laughs> who I am. And I think if I wasn't a Star Wars fan, my dad would probably have disowned me a very long time ago. Um, but besides that, on things that actually matter, not saying that Star Wars doesn't matter, but 
he's never <laughs> pressured me any way or another. And, and and really all of the the pressuring for this this complementarianism of, you know, the men leads, the women follows, that was all pushed to me after high school, mostly from another side of the family. Like I saw it demonstrated in my grandparents' relationship. Sure. But you know, I didn't, you know, yeah. So it was all pushed to me from a, from another angle from, from aunts and uncles on a different side of the family. So it was, he was never into that stuff. And, and I think at the end of the day, as much as one side tried to make me like them, what, what I was raised with and what I knew as a child, that, that ended up being where I, where I landed. Like my dad's parenting shined through at the end of the day because I think probably just at the end of the day, I just wanted to be like my dad. So. Yeah, that's dude. That's beautiful. I think that that's awesome. And and kudos to Mister Blythe out there too for doing an awesome job raising a, a great dad and a great son. I think that that's a wonderful answer. And I think that it ultimately comes down to you know you you have to form your own opinions. I think that mm-hmm. certainly our faith. Um, and, and I can say this too, just being somebody who you know follows a faith, and I, I think our faith shapes a lot of who we are. And I think that's mostly what God intends is for us to take that and, and create our own vision Mm of what we should, you know, um, of how we should conduct our life based on, you know, his scripture and and other things. So I I believe, I definitely believe that. Um, so, so we got to make it our own, right? Don't, don't follow blindly. And, 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 And that's the thing, like, so many people right now, and I think that's one of the struggles that we're seeing in the world, is people aren't thinking for themselves. They're not trying to push right. through barriers of whatever it might be. Or challenge kind themselves. Of falling in line. Yeah. yeah like challenge like, your what, thought. Challenge their thought, you know? Exactly. And and that was when I was the youth pastor, that was one of the things I always tried to instill in my kids is is wrestle with it. No matter what it is, wrestle with it. If it if it comes out true in the end then that's good and, and follow it. But if, if you wrestle with your faith, if you wrestle with a belief, if you wrestle with a political ideology, if you wrestle with whatever it is, like that's a healthy behavior. Just believing it because your parents told you to, or because your friends told you to, or because a website that you see linked from Facebook tells you to, that's not healthy. Yep. Challenge what you believe and, and see what comes out of it. Yeah, I think that's a, a great, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I always like to end the show with like words of wisdom. That is, that is like such quality words of wisdom for this uh, conversation. But, you know, I, I will ask the question of you, Jordan. I mean, like, is there and and even if you were to think about a Jordan, you know, a little over two years ago, who's about to become a dad, like any other thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd provide? Uh Really, the biggest one, stop reading parenting books, stop reading parenting blogs, uh, don't stop listening to parenting podcasts. Yes. Um, but <laughs> don't listen to anyone who tells you exactly how things are going to be as a yes, parent, exactly. because they are so full of crap. Like, they have no idea what your kid's going to be like. Right. You know, I've got a lot of coworkers, uh, my office, very young office. Uh, a lot of them are having kids. We've got a couple of them having quarantine babies. Um, all of us have very different children, very, very different. You know, my, my kid, it took Eli, uh, uh, not long at all to walk. 
but he's not talking as much as I'd like him to. Mm. And I'm like, man, that kind of freaks me out. But then I talked to a, another parent at my work and she's like, my kid says all kinds of things, but she didn't start walking until she was like 15, 16 months. Right. And I'm like, okay, like I get it. Like every kid is so different. So, so don't put unnecessary pressure on yourself to, to try to figure it out before you even have the kid. And then don't put pressure on yourself to figure it out after you have the kid. Just take it day by day. Yeah. No, 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 totally. Well, well, Jordan, this has been such a great conversation. I, pre- I appreciate you bringing so much wisdom um, and, and really good vibes to the conversation. So first of all, thank you for that. Oh, it's um, my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, if anybody wants to follow you on social media, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, Twitter. Uh, if you want to see just some political centrist nonsense with some theology sprinkled in and a bit of mental health sprinkled in, um, follow me at Jordan M. Blythe on Twitter. Um, you, you probably, I mean, you might like it. I don't know. I I, I get a lot more uh, passionate on Twitter because uh, my, my my boss doesn't follow me on Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I it, it's kind of my place to talk politics. I love politics. I'm a huge politics nerd. Um, and then I talk theology because I'm a huge theology nerd. And some nerd stuff, too. So follow me on there. Right on. All right. Well, Jordan, thank you again so much for bringing uh, a great conversation to the show today. Again, our guest has been Jordan Blythe. Thanks again. My pleasure, man. See ya. Big thanks again to Jordan for sharing his story on The Dad Chronicle. I hope you really learned something about it. And I know that there's a lot of animosity and a lot of strife in our country right now between a lot of divisive issues. But I think that one thing that we all need to think more about is how we approach things with a little bit more understanding and compassion and not taking everything at face value. And that's really hard. That's really easy to say up front, but the actual action of it, putting your pride aside is really hard. So I would challenge this audience to think a little bit about the conversation that Jordan and I had. And if you'd like to chime in on the conversation, I would encourage you to do so. You can email the dad chronicle podcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, if you'd like to support what we do here at The Dad Chronicle, you can do so by heading over to supportadad.com. While you're there, check out the different levels that would work well for you. Even $1 a month helps tremendously to pay for not just the operational cost of the show, but to allow us to hit brand new goals and expand this show into some new and exciting things. So check out all the details over at supportadad.com. And remember, be good to yourself and be good to others. See you next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.